Welcome to an honest conversation on health, serving up discussion and perspective about what health really is. Your health, your responsibility. There's simply no way around it. It's time to own it. You have what it takes. All you need is the knowledge. That's where I come in. I'm your host, Julie Brown. I love this shit. With a nerd's eye view, I'll share the knowledge and help you bring it to life with conscious action, love, and laughter. You've got this. Hey everyone, Julie Brown here. To say that today's episode is the most important episode I've ever recorded would be a crazy understatement. Truth is, it might be one of the most important moments where I've been willing to stand and be visible and speak truth and ask people simply to listen, pause, and reflect. It is my belief that it is our duty as moms, parents, and adults to protect and advocate for our children. When I first became a mom, I remember very distinctly becoming aware that I should never mess with a mama bear. It is a fierce feeling and it rattled me because I had a glimpse of what she felt like and I knew she would tear me to shreds if she had to. It is this feeling that propels me forward right now to record this episode. For those of you that are not moms in the traditional sense that have these same feelings, I'm speaking to you too, to the collective nurturing and protection of our youth. You may have an emotional reaction to what we are going to share today. We live in emotional time and it's hard. So when we discuss sensitive, emotionally charged topics, it's natural that we feel things. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have the conversation. In fact, it's often when it's most warranted. We need to be brave. Brene Brown has taught us this. But my explicit, explicit intention today is to be intellectually honest, accurate, and to provide adequate context and background for people to really pause and reflect on the reality we are in and the ethical situation we face. Our children need us to be brave enough to do this and ask ourselves the difficult questions, to evaluate our actions, the consequences, and the risks, and to do so without fear overwhelming us. This is not an easy task. This has caused great stress to so many people in our community. We are not here to persuade you, advise you, or judge the decisions you have already made. We fundamentally believe in informed consent and the right to make personal medical decisions free of coercion and for yourself and those in your care. Okay, let's dive in. For starters, we are not opposed to vaccines as prevention medicine, nor do we deny the important role they have played in history. They are an intelligent and powerful adjunct to the medical arsenal and have most certainly saved lives. Fact is, they have also harmed lives, even with extensive and acceptable study and review. As in all health interventions, we have to consider the circumstance, the risk, and the benefits. The COVID shots have not had the same study and review as what we commonly refer to as vaccines. Thankfully, the COVID shots are very successful at offering significant protection from severity for a period of time that is still emerging in the data. 
While they do not block infection or transmission, they do reduce it, particularly in the early months. They are an important tool to protect the vulnerable and to add protection to others that need or want it. The risk of severe COVID is not uniform in our population. By now, it is very clear that the risk of severe COVID is many times greater in the aged and those with metabolic conditions. We also know this virus will remain in our ecosystem and that we need to come into balance with it using all the tools we have available. The lower the risk of severe COVID, the more important it is that we are certain of the risks of harm. The reality is there are adverse events occurring at higher rates in our young. Myocarditis and pericarditis are chief among them. It is a highly complex decision to make and one many adults have toiled over for themselves, let alone their children. I want to make two important points about naturally acquired immunity. First of all, it's real. There are over 20 studies evidencing its durability and broad nature. The most recent studies on naturally acquired immunity suggest that it is not only as good as immunity conferred through vaccination, but perhaps better. It is important to note a study that indicated having one COVID shot after naturally acquired immunity increases the antibody response. This is all good news. It is collective immunity to this virus that will help us get through this pandemic. So I find myself deeply perplexed as to why we are diminishing and dismissing the strong evidence for the natural immune response. I am perplexed why we are insisting that everyone be vaccinated, even if they already have strong immunity. For those that need the extra protection or for those that want it, the option is available. Second, there are signals in the data that indicate those with natural immunity are at a higher risk of adverse events, including our children. We need to investigate this. How can anyone properly assess risk if they don't have the information needed to do so? Historically, we have acknowledged that when natural immunity was already acquired, we do not vaccinate for that pathogen. Chickenpox is a great example. So why today, why now, why this? Speaking up in this way and offering perspectives and evidence that is not being discussed broadly or widely or in our legacy media is not an easy task. If you disagree with what you're hearing today, I ask you to reach out. I'm very open to dialogue and discussion. And if you have data sets and information I haven't seen, I want to see them. Truth is, I've been waiting for a sign as to when the time to join a conversation in this way seemed warranted. And that sign came from Shiloh. Shiloh is a very respected colleague and friend of mine. And she, for many in this community, is a symbol of peace. Many of us walk in her door to her office to get peace. I mean, we call it acupuncture, but let's be honest, we're seeking peace and balance and she gives it to us. For her to do that, she does an inordinate amount of self-care. So when I saw that she had written about this on Facebook, I thought, Jay Brown, that's your sign. <laughs> and so I called her this morning 
And here we are later this afternoon recording this because we knew it was time to say something. And so I'm going to turn the mic over to my dear friend, Shiloh. Thanks, Julie. (laughs) Yeah, here I am today sitting with you, which is also, you know, completely out of character for me to leave the solace I seek in the woods (laughs) out at our cabin on a Saturday. (laughs) Totally out of character. I have, it's true, I've sat quietly. I've been doing my work knowing clearly that my role as a healer um, in this community was to support with love and kindness the people that walked through my office door. And I was convinced that that was enough. And up until now, that was enough. When we received the initial email from our school principal saying there was going to be a COVID vaccine pop-up clinic at the school and that parental consent was necessary, it did not sit well with me, as I know it didn't sit well with you, but, and I'm sure many many mothers, many parents, many caregivers. But I'm not one to react quickly, especially and most certainly not publicly. (laughs) But when that email was revoked, and the next day it read that the clinic was happening and consent was not needed, the mother bear in me that you spoke about (laughs) woke up. And there was an undeniable urge and a passion. There was an energy that was undeniable. It felt like it was out of my control. It wasn't even me. It felt completely undeniable. So I knew without question I couldn't ignore it. And as a mother, I know that I'm not the only one out there. And when I made that post, which is also completely out of character for me, as you know, all care what anyone might think, any button I might push, it was all gone. I just knew it was time. And when you contacted me today, it was just another confirmation to me that it is time. The support and the amount of mothers that spoke out publicly on the post and privately to me with their support and relief that someone publicly was putting themselves out there to validate what they were feeling was overwhelming. This isn't about where you reside on the vaccine debate line. This is irrelevant. This is our children and any mother or caregiver out there. If they tap into their gut for just a moment, they are likely to agree. Something does not sit well. I want to be perfectly clear here when I speak about this because I know, we all know this is a very sensitive topic, much like the topic we are discussing here today. But if we keep shying away from uncomfortable emotions, how do we heal as a society? How do we move forward? Are we not as Canadians in the midst of grief and sadness from acknowledging what our country has put the Indigenous peoples through in this lifetime? What was done to their children without their consent? Our community is comprised of many Indigenous families, many of whom have children that attend J.A. Laird specifically. And at the risk of speaking out of turn, I must imagine that for many, there may be deep trauma at the forefront of their hearts and minds right now. And to have the very institution that is meant to keep our children safe say we are going to have a vaccine clinic and we do not need parental consent, in my opinion, this is extremely disrespectful. We need to take a moment and discuss the mature minor consent, which is part of the Infant Act. This is an act and a process that is an extraordinarily important vehicle to allow our health professionals to keep children safe. There are particular circumstances where this act and the um, mature minor consent 
increases children's safety in ways the general public is unaware of, and it is very important. The question here is whether or not we're using it in a way that does that. There's a couple important pieces of information I want to share from you, and to be accurate, I'm going to read it from the Immunize BC website. On this site, it talks about children in grade 9 and older are given the opportunity to consent for themselves. But it does state that there's no specific age at which the mature minor consent takes effect. Again, there are very particular circumstances where that gray zone allows physicians and health professionals to support safety of children. Also of note, directly from the website, the immunization records of any child who gives their own consent will not be shared with the parent or guardian unless the child gives permission. Again, there are circumstances where that confidential ability to do something is very important to increase safety of children. This in a healthcare environment is always a tricky um, zone. It really truly is. And I have called on a woman and a colleague and a mentor to bring her experience into the picture. She's an, a pediatric occupational therapist with 27 years in private practice. I met her 20 years ago this month. We were classmates in osteopathy in Toronto for seven years. I um, have learned so much from her. She is a magician with babies as an osteopath and has been the greatest guide for me in being able to support our community on a pediatric level. So without further um, ado, I'm going to bring Mary Pat into the picture from Winnipeg with a question I posed to her. What are the ethical considerations you would face and how would you navigate that in your career in the hospital? Well, I mean, the main thing is we would have to look at it on an individual basis and that some children can be, you know, of a certain age, but they may not have the maturity or cognitive skills to make a, an informed decision and be able to see it's the really the the tricky thing is with kids is they understand the concept of consequences right i mean the reason why really i think i don't know that anyone starts to smoke at 30 years old People start to smoke, you know, as a teenager, because you have no idea of the long-term consequences. Right. And our vaping and, crisis is a great example. And, so, and yeah, and so much of it is on image. You're smoking not because you just love inhaling smoke and all the other toxins in it. You're doing it to be cool or be tough or whatever, or because your friends are. But no one knowing, really having a good sense of the consequences would ever start smoking unless your aim was just to kill yourself early. So that's, that's a huge hurdle for, for any child is they don't understand long-term consequences. But some kids also just cognitively aren't there 
to understand what what you're even telling them. Like even language, some language is not, you know, clear to them and they may not have the confidence to say, I don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, that that's something that always has to be also considered is like, I get that they're a certain age, but developmentally or cognitively, are they there to, you know, are they capable of making those decisions that will affect them? Yeah. And, you know, I could make the point that the act serves some children exceedingly well in particular circumstances, but those would be particular circumstances of family dynamic and living arrangements and, you know, general context of their life. Right. But also those wouldn't be presented amongst their peers. Right. So, you know, someone has to question the fact, like, why is the government so keen to bypass the parent in this situation? Thank you, MP, for your wisdom. That is a question we might all consider. Moving forward here, there are other voices that reached out to us during this day as this unfolded, and it seemed like synergy for them to participate. We're going to hear from them now. Thanks for joining us, Lisa, on this podcast. We're really excited that you're here. You and your children have been clients of mine for years, and over the years of getting to know you as a woman, and over the past decade seeing you as a mother, I have nothing but the utmost respect for you. Your integrity, your honesty, your ability to shine your light to anyone who has the pleasure of being in your presence is so inspiring. You're a passionate woman and an extremely passionate mother. So believe me when I say I know how challenging speaking out publicly and making yourself vulnerable can be. So... I was thrilled that you agreed to do this. So tell me why you agreed so quickly and easily to be here with us today and share some of your thoughts about um, this pop-up clinic that is not requiring any parental consent. Thank you for the kind words, Shiloh. It's um, an honor to be asked by you and Julie to be a part of this. Um, I, I think what we as parents need to do is take a step back from this whole COVID world that we've been encompassed with for the last 18 months and pause because this topic is new territory. Uh, This approach of taking the consent away from parents regarding COVID vaccines has never happened before. It's never occurred before. Um, And not only was it a red flag to me as a parent, but it made me curious as to who is pushing the BC Infant Act and the mature minor consent into the picture. Um, I've, I've approached the, the district school superintendents, interior health, and also our local MLA, uh, and nobody seems to be able to get an answer for me for the following questions. Who decided to create vaccination, COVID vaccination clinics at the district schools, and why is the mature minor consent being used as a crutch to support this? Uh, I think regardless of whether you are pro or anti-COVID vaccines, something in your gut must say, hey, this has never happened before. We have always had to provide consent for our children to do anything at school. Um, Something as critical as a medical decision like this cannot be decided by a 12-year-old, nor can it be undone. Mm -hmm. I was told by our public health office that a checklist would be used to deem the child mature. 
And I pressed him, how can a vaccine administrator deem a child that they do not know, using a checklist, that they are mature enough to make this medical decision of administering a vaccine that has no long-term safety studies completed on it? Um, there's no data. So I'm, I'm left to wonder with three, three things. Who will be liable when a child has a vaccine injury? Will it be the public health office or the school district? Uh, because we know it certainly won't be the vaccine manufacturer. Secondly, what stops our public health office or school districts from administering or performing any other medical treatment in the future using the same tactic? And lastly, if the vaccine age gets lowered again, we could say from 12 to 6, will the mature minor consent also be applicable? Um, these are my thoughts. These are the things I'm thinking about. These are the things I'm worrying about. Um, so I'm so thankful that you were putting together this podcast to, to speak about it. I think those are excellent questions. Mm-hmm. And I think questions are what are needed now. I think we all need to be asking ourselves those questions. Again, as you say, it doesn't matter if you wanted your child to have this vaccine or not. These questions are pertinent because they, any number of situations could apply in future to your children that you might not be comfortable with or supportive of. And if you are a parent who's comfortable with this particular vaccine, then maybe this wouldn't trigger you in the same way. But if you think of it in that exact way, but what if, what if there was something else, Mm -hmm. something else that I didn't want my child to do Mm -hmm. and they weren't requiring my consent? What then? Exactly. This is completely new turf and it's, um, it should be just a a wake up call to all parents to say, wait, you know, I might agree with this, but who's to say that in the future there would be not a different, um, product or, you know, event that, that I wouldn't agree with. And now I'm bound by the same, the same things that have happened on the previous occurrence. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's crossing a line. Yeah. It's crossing, crossing a line. Exactly. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us and um, you. sharing your thoughts. And, your, and I think, most importantly, the questions you left us with. Yeah, those are great questions. Thank you. Thank you. Please allow me to introduce our next guest. Gwyn is a woman who I've known for many, many years and seen through many chapters of her life in an up-close kind of way. And so I've seen her philosophical ways of finding her way through with tremendous thought and reflection and kindness. I admire her both for her heart and her mind, and we are grateful to have her here. She's going to share her background with you, which allows her to bring a very informed and... um, compassionate experience perspective to this discussion. Thank you, Gwen, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to um, engage in dialogue and speak openly. And I feel that that's really what's been missing or one of the things that's been missing. So it's great to have the opportunity to have a conversation. 
So I um, graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree, and within my degree I studied um, a lot of topics that are pertinent to what's happening in the world today, um, such as psychoneuroimmunology, which is the interplay between uh, the mind and the body as it relates to disease states, as well as neurobiology, anatomy, biomedical ethics, statistical analysis, all of these types of things that relate to the sciences. And um, I think also something that's really informed my position too is that I have spent, well, I nearly spent a decade, decade working in um, mental health and addictions, working with um, teenagers or youth um, age 12 and above. And so really was involved in meeting the needs of the community as it relates to vulnerable populations of vulnerable, um, vulnerable youth. Okay, so specifically given that experience and that background, what can you contribute to this, this dialogue and discussion about informed consent and the ability for children in that or our youth in that age range to be able to provide that? while inside the influence of their peer group? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that if you're offering this vaccination within a school setting, you're coming up against some dynamics that might not be there in other settings, such as peer influence or even um, the influence of authoritative figures. Therefore, you know, that can really influence a child and they're not in a setting with their family where perhaps they feel safer to explore uh, questions that they might have or, um, you know, just even feel okay to say no, right? It's... That is a concern that is shared by many because, for example, I have children at the age of 11 So I spend a lot of time with children around this age of 11 and 12, 13. And it's such an age of wanting to fit in and being part of their peer group that I am very aware and sensitive to the fact that children at that age will make decisions not for their physical health, but for their social health. And this concerns me. Yeah, how it might look to his friends or fitting in or not standing out because you're the only one Mm -hmm. saying, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also I think that we have to take into account that not all households are having these conversations necessarily. So, you know, a a child could be put in a position where they don't really have very much information. And I think that really takes us to the, just the idea of, informed consent in general in this particular situation Um, you know we're dealing with an experimental product that has not completed clinical trials therefore you know on a scientific basis you can't actually say this is safe because um, trials are not complete and in particular for children I don't think they're going to know how to ask the right questions to make sure that they are getting True informed consent. Yeah, it's complicated for adults, right? Like, you don't take it lightly. It's so complicated. And, you know, I think what we really need here is a proper risk-benefit analysis because um, COVID as a disease is something that um, doesn't affect everybody 
every age group in the same way. And with children, it's actually um, the infection mortality rate is so incredibly low um, that I think it really is important for us to stop and think, okay, what are the risks of taking the vaccination and what are the benefits? And um, with the data that's coming in, uh, or what I'm seeing at least, is that there are a lot of safety signals that are popping up because we are still learning. So it's really important for us to be looking at these safety signals and investigating that. And that's something that takes time. And so um, I feel that offering it in the school setting is almost circumventing the parental right to be involved in the decision-making process of the health of your child. Yeah, and information that would be extremely difficult for a 12-year-old to be able to fully comprehend. Yes, and, you know, the schools have, have sent these responses where they default to other levels of authority or the Infancy Act, and I understand, and I that, you know, everybody is trying to do their best. However, I think that when we look at these types of things, we have to say, Isn't it, is it right in this situation, in this particular situation, to give kids experimental medications um, on school property? Is that the right thing to do in this case? Absolutely. and and But even speaking on that, like I know that there are people that work in the in have worked in the school system for a very long time and have not seen this happen before where there is a vaccine being offered that I've spoken to that where a vaccine is being offered and there's no consent form I think the question we're asking is are we using this act ethically or are we using this act to circumvent parental input into a complex decision with lasting impact that we cannot even yes. quantify because we don't have long-term data. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we are not here saying that we know our actions are going to stop this clinic. We know this clinic is happening on Monday. Today is Saturday. It's happening. Yeah. We also know there are plans for future ones. And we know that when communities speak up as a collective when people tap into their inner knowing of what is right and what is wrong, we have power. Honestly, March of 2020 showed us how much power we have to change when we do it together. There is hope. I really believe we're gonna find our way through this and we have to do that together. We are not here advocating for or against vaccines. We are here advocating for ethics that we can all live with. For ethics that respect that coercion and bullying have no place in medical decision making for any age. And for sure, not in our children and not at school. This is a line and it has now been crossed. What do we want parents to do? We want parents to openly listen to this message, to listen to their own message, the guidance that they're getting. And we want, like you said, there's Julie, there, there's very unlikely that this clinic is going to be not happening on Monday. We also know that the clinic that's happening on Monday has RCMP involved and security guards, which also 
would, you know, make one question why that's not right at our school. That isn't something that's normally needed, is it? That's frightening. No parent can deny that. We ask that if you feel strong emotions from this, that before you take to the web, before you want to strike out, we ask that you approach your response with the same love and respect and reflection that we have approached this collective message. Thanks so very much for joining me today. Together, we can light the way to better health for you and our planet. You can help make this happen by subscribing, sharing this with a friend, and reaching for the stars in a review. If you would like to join me in a conversation or have a request, please reach out. I'm all ears. Check out juliebrown.health for resources and tools to help you on your way. Stay curious and keep learning.